As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. How we doing out there, folks? This is your host with the most, Kenny Vaughn, and I would love to welcome you to another episode of One Haas, your Berkeley Haas alumni podcast. Boy, let me tell you, we're in for a treat today. Look, I ain't going to lie to you. I'm just excited. I'm here with my classmate, with my sister, with my dear friend, Elise Douglas. Elise, thank you so much for making the time. Welcome to One Haas. How you doing today? How you doing? Oh, man. Thank you for having me. I'm just so excited to be here with you particularly. Not just friend and classmate, your co-president. It's a pleasure to be here. I love Haas. I love you. I love that you guys are doing this. So just excited. I would be remiss because, you know, it's different when you're classmates. But now that we officially alumni or alumnus, <laughs> I got to get the verbiage. Folks got titles. So Elise happens to be a quite a distinguished friend of mine. She is the VP of Development at Signature Development and the co-founder of the Oakland Black Business Fund, both of which I would love to hear more about. But before we dive into that, can you just tell me how you're doing? This is just such an interesting time in history, right? We all have been collectively in some form of quarantine, lockdown. So how have you been holding up? Like, what is your day-to-day? How are you doing mentally, spiritually, emotionally? What type of state are you in? Is a good way, I think, to start this conversation, honestly, because we all live in our realities and don't necessarily preface that in terms of where we come from when we tell our stories. It's been a rough year. I'm currently in California. I'm here in Oakland. I had been about the past seven months or so in Philadelphia with my family. I think I had, like everybody, just having very visceral reactions to everything that was going on, starting with COVID, especially over the summer of killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and really dealing with that violence on Black people within the crisis of the pandemic, seeing Black people around me suffering and dying. It was just a lot. I think I was generally processing a lot of that, and it certainly affected a lot of the work that I've done in the past year, for better or for worse. And now, a year later, really trying to gain some perspective on, okay, now where are we at? Where does that leave me? Where does that leave how I want to live my life? So that's kind of generally where I am today. So one of the things that I'd love to ask you is I feel like each one of us individually has learned something about ourselves, something about our family, something about our network. What's an insight that you've gained into yourself that you don't think you would have otherwise gained had we not gone through this? I think we've all just had to face our realities in a way that can be uncomfortable. It really makes us reevaluate every decision we've made. I think for me, I've had to reevaluate why I live where I live and where I work and who I was in my life and the different relationships and everything that's had. So my takeaway for that is just being more selective about those things and being more appreciative and gracious to what I have, to where I am, who I have in my life, what I'm doing. It's just been a real 
eye opener when you kind of strip away a lot of the other things, the commuting, the brunch, whatever it is that you're doing. And what are you left with without all this other stuff? And then sort of facing that, what do you want to change? What do you want to keep? I think it's been my biggest takeaway. So you've mentioned lightly the work that you do. I would love for you to unpack what it is that you do, why it is that you do it. Can you kind of peel back the layers on how you ended up where you are right now professionally? It's a very big open-ended question, but you do some very focused work with some very focused communities. So I would love to hear in your own voice what your work means to you and some things that you've seen just in the past 12 months. I guess I can start with my background. I think that provides context. My family's from Philadelphia. I grew up there and I had a number of early experiences that kind of exposed me to the realities of cities, the realities of, of why where you live matters fairly or unfairly. Now you say you're from Philly. What part of Philly are you from? Like, you like West Philadelphia, born and raised? Like, no, not West. I wish, honestly, because it's like, if no other reason I could have a song to sing. My family has like deep roots in Philly post great migration. By the time I grew up, or I came about, I mostly grew up in Cheltenham. My mom lived in Cheltenham. My dad lived in Mount Airy. Most of my family still lives in a little triangle of Cheltenham, Mount Airy, Germantown. It's a great place. It's very Black. I love it very much. It is a microcosm for a lot of places in America, but it's also in some ways more diverse. And I love it there. It's my favorite place in the world. It's a lot like Oakland, actually. Can you share a little bit more about some of your favorite memories growing up in Philly? What was it like growing up? And what do you think it was as you look back on your childhood that drew you to, because you were an architecture major in college, right? Yep, I was. Architecture, and then now you're in real estate development. So was there anything about your childhood that you were exposed to that really planted a seed into the work that you're doing right now? Sure. My mom lived in Shelton, which is a place where I spent most of my childhood. And that is a pretty working class kind of neighborhood it's very diverse. It was actually at the time when I was growing up, it was about half black, half white and a wide range of incomes. Everything from really wealthy white people, wealthy black people to poor white people, poor white people. It was like a very diverse place in that regard. And when I was in the eighth grade, I got a scholarship for high school to go to a really historically wealthy prep school across the city on the other side. And I was struck by how that experience was just very different from mine and the type of resources and access that people had there versus where I had. I was doing a lot of work at the time in high school where I lived in different communities and neighborhoods in Philly, specifically like black communities and neighborhoods. And was just like, I cannot reconcile between the access and the wealth and the privilege that I see over here with what I see on the ground over here, five miles away. Like, what does that mean? This was even in high school when you're having this, these thoughts. Yeah, I had a couple experiences where my prep school bought a new campus that was like even further out into the suburbs. And I was working with a community development organization in North Philly that was doing a lot of work in neighborhoods that were really affected by new affordable housing and things like that. 
And I was just like, okay, what I'm seeing here is that not only does it matter where you live, apparently, it also matters like what that neighborhood looks like. And for whatever reason, I was really drawn to the architecture of these things. I think naively, but also reflective of my experience at the time. I was like, okay, well, maybe if we build things nicer and more thoughtful and with more intention, we can sort of attract the resources and the opportunities that we need. We can make these things happen simply by the physical spaces that we create. And so I went to architecture school and I graduated. I I started working in the field and I was like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) It's a little bit more complicated than that because it's not just the way things look. It's the economic activity behind them. Mm. And that was a thing that I think I certainly learned in the recession, like 2008 recession. Because at that time, I don't think anybody in my family had a job. Everybody got laid off. I think my oldest brother had a job, but like I'm looking at mass unemployment. I'm looking at every black person I know in my family, not only not having a job, not being able to get a job with very few exceptions and sort of like, okay, so the problem isn't necessarily what your house looks like or how big your yard is or whether you have siding or interesting architectural details. The problem is how are we creating opportunities and economic problems for these communities beyond just kind of what they look like, my own included, specifically for Black people. And so at that time, but nobody could get a job in 2008. And so it was kind of like, all right, well, everybody needs to figure out something. Everybody Mm -hmm. needs to go out and whatever resources we have and sort of make something happen. Mm -hmm. Kids got to eat. And I remember at that time is when I got into development. And it was just around like post-recession going in in 2010, 2011, being like, oh, okay, there's actually like people that have assets that use them, that create opportunities for themselves. They take a house that they own and they redo it and they rent it. And it's like, oh, so you mean you can create opportunities? You can use your real estate, you can use your assets, you can grow something from that. Now, you mind if I ask a silly question here? I'm just listening to the arc of your story already. And one question that comes to mind is, did you have a mentor? Did you have a role model? Did you have someone that kind of guided you along this path? Because, and this may sound crazy, I didn't even know what real estate development was until I went to business school. Like, I didn't know development was a thing. So, like, even just having insights into there's this problem that I see, which is economic opportunity. There are these levers that I can affect, which have very tangible impact on issues that are meaningful to me. How were you able to connect those dots? Was that something that you had just seen someone else do or was it intuition? Can you walk me a little bit through that process? I think in the firm I was working with, I saw a lot of like developers were like young white guys that were not much older than I was, but they just had money to do this to put at risk. And I was like, well, why don't black people have that? (laughs) Why can't we have that? Why can't we do that? And I started kind of going around and just finding Black people that I knew that were doing this and like kind of just tagging along and learning. And I took continuing education classes. I like took classes at NYU. I just signed up for stuff to like learn it. I started doing like a consulting thing, basically. So at that time, I was really good at the permitting process in New York City and getting stuff approved, especially on historic buildings, navigating that process, public meetings. So I would like trade information with people. I'd be like, listen, I'll help you get this stuff approved. You just need to tell me what you're doing on like the finance side. Like what's a pro forma? (laughs) How do I do one? Mm -hmm. What's Excel? That kind of thing. And so I just piece 
stuff together and just kind of learned what I could learn. And I actually got laid off. I got laid off in like 2012, 2013. Mm. And I was like, what do we do? I had made it through the recession. I thought I was good, but I was also like, I had been learning about development. I've been learning about these things. I've been like, okay, wait a minute. There's a way to use real estate now in a way I didn't realize the way that people are doing all over the place. Like, how do I like do this? If this is a problem I care about, how do I apply myself to that? And I ended up meeting a guy randomly at a conference who had founded a private equity firm that was one of the OG impact investing firms that was doing impact investing in hard asset businesses to create jobs with the idea that they could kind of grow and support specific communities. And so they were mm-hmm. looking at doing a number of kind of real estate and construction plays. So they were like, well, you don't have a job. You want to come do this? And I was like, okay. And so I joined their team and I spent time basically building strategic plans for portfolio companies and really learning like, okay, well, how do you invest in a business? If you have a mandate or you have a thing, like you're trying to create jobs in this specific neighborhood, which is what we did. We picked Central Harlem and said, because we had funding relationships and said, okay, we're going to try to build a business that would be able to grow and support and employ people that live in this specific zip code. So what are the skill sets that they have? Let's build a business around them. So I wrote the strategic plan, did the resources, put together partnerships. We actually ended up building like an insurance consulting business. This was around the time when the Affordable Care Act was coming up. We got it funded and that was like our portfolio company. And I was like, okay, That was not what I came here to do. I thought I was going to be doing real estate construction. But the thing that I learned was, oh, okay, you can build businesses. Didn't know that. Two, you can go out and you can invest in stuff. You can find businesses. You can build them. There's this whole world out here around minority businesses, supplier diversity. This all actually directly relates to what I'm trying to do on the real estate side. Like I'm trying to combine these two things. How will we build and create jobs and opportunities with real estate? And that's actually why I went to a little place that you might be familiar with. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I think it's called Berkeley. I don't know. I was going to ask you about this Berkeley Haas thing because I'm listening to this story (laughs) and I'm intrigued and I'm like, okay, I see this young Black professional woman who is navigating the ropes, who is piecing these things together. But the theme that I notice is East Coast, East Coast, East Coast, East Coast, East Coast. So please tell me how, of all the places that you could end up, you end up clear across the other side of the country in Berkeley, California. How did that happen? Let me tell you something. There was a snowstorm and I said, (laughs) I can't do this anymore. No. Oh, you need to know. (laughs) That's all I need to know. Listen, I just checked the forecast and I said, I got to go. I think I've done my time. No, I, uh, I didn't even spend a lot of time in California, honestly. One of the partners at my firm had gone to Haas, she's an alum, and she okay. was incredible. And I was like, oh, I love her. I love the way she thinks. I love the way she communicates. I love the way she like does everything. Her name's Jenny Machida. I was like, she's the best. I don't know anything about this school. If she went there, I kind of want to go. I applied and I was really lucky to get in. And California for me, I was like, well, I know I want to play in this space between real estate and impact investing and kind of like job creation. I feel like there's a impact lens to that. And I felt like Haas was the only school that really spoke that language to me. I am a leadership principal stan. That really did resonate with me. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I definitely know I'm done with cold weather. I should like try this out. I should see what it is. And luckily they said, okay, you can do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of how I ended up at Cal. 
I, for one, am personally glad that you did because I know we got a chance to share our highest experience together. We got a chance to serve as co-presidents of the Black Business Student Association. What did that experience mean to you? I think it showed me that there's a place in the world for people who are thinking about that whole idea of doing well and doing good, but Mm. like more so doing good. There's a place to be impactful, to think about innovation and not just for innovation's sake, but innovation for all our sakes. That was the greatest thing coming out of that experience. I'm like an introvert. I'm your classic introvert. I can turn it on for like professional reasons, but in general, I'm a small, close circle of friends kind of girl. So just being in that environment with those types of people was just perfect for me. And I really do value a lot of those relationships. It was great. It just showed me like, listen, there's other people out here who are looking at the same problems as you from like an innovation lens who are looking at trying to do stuff differently, who are like looking at doing it at scale, who are just generally curious and like piecing stuff together as they come across it. They're not just like handed a solution and told to execute. And that just meant everything to me. I look back at that now, especially years later, since we've graduated, especially in the past year, a lot of the momentum and things I've been able to accomplish, like I would not have been able to do that without us, without Berkeley, without the people there. And in some ways I feel bad. It's like, I think I took that for granted, but I think it's also something I knew, which is why I came there in the first place. Like these are the type of people that genuinely care about these things and are action oriented kind of in the same way that I am. So speaking of an orientation towards action, Mm. I think you know where I'm about to go with this because we're going to fast forward a little bit. We're going to fast forward to 2020. I think for all people, but I think particularly for Black folks in this country, I think a lot of us were rocked to our core. And I don't use that phrase lightly. I think as we look at some of the tragedies that have gone on in this country for a very long time, this was not news to Black folks, but I think the way in which we had to witness some of these tragedies play out was different. And each one of us dealt with our respective feelings and emotions in our own way. I remember to this day standing in the living room with my family, holding hands as we're joining Al Sharpton in eulogy of George Floyd and the whole range of emotions that's taking place as you are trying to come to grips with the dichotomy of being Black in America. Mm. This love that you have for this country that has so many opportunities while still being faced with the reality of just the tragedy that we see. And This is a very long way of me saying (laughs) a lot of us had a lot of things that we could have done when we were going through these emotions. You chose to do something very interesting. And I know for folks who are staying really plugged into the Haas community, Haas network, you may have already heard about this story, but you chose to start a GoFundMe and you said you were going to raise $5,000 to help support local black businesses out there in Oakland And then something pretty amazing happened. What was it that made you decide to do that first and foremost? And then can you just kind of walk me through the next several weeks and months after your $5,000 GoFundMe goes north of $100,000 and now you're talking about billion dollar funds and just, (laughs) just walk me through that entire journey if you can. Yeah, it was probably the longest week of my life. 
I think black grief is generally very private. Mm. We as a black community mourn quietly because our grief is not necessarily understood and we're used to it. We know what to do when something tragic in the black community happens. Like we all know who we reach out to, who we talk to, who we pray to, which coworkers we reach out to, especially those of us in corporate America where you're not going to get that acknowledgement of that black grief or pain publicly. And so the thing about this summer that was so crazy in a lot of ways was because that black grief all of a sudden was publicly acknowledged in a way that I think a lot of us were like really unaccustomed to for better or for worse. And so I think I, like everybody else, was just responding to the black grief that was going on around me and looking at sort of my particular role in the world. So my current job, I work at real estate development firm in Oakland. And a lot of the work I do focuses on building relationships with tenants for our buildings. And we try to really overcorrect and find and partner with black or women or local or other minority owned businesses. So I'm like deep into the weeds with those business owners and how they are faring both in regards to the pandemic and, and sort of just the larger economic stuff going on. And so in doing that work, I think when you see this constant, constant trauma to black folks, I think my response was still private. It was like, okay, black people out here, they're dying of COVID. They're getting killed. Our businesses are closing. Like, let me do what little thing that I can do within my small circle to do whatever I can. So I reached out to, I said, well, you know what? I could probably get like a couple people together, a couple thousand dollars. We could probably go help fix some windows and paint over some storefronts or whatever, just so we don't have to focus on damage that's been caused by protests or anything like that. We can just help people stabilize. And this is just like a word of mouth thing. I can text business owners. I know I can walk around in downtown Oakland. Not a big deal. So I texted business owners and I texted my friends and I posted it on my personal Instagram. And I don't even think I posted it on LinkedIn until well after the fact. And it's like, hey, just trying to get this thing together. Here's some people that probably need some help. Anyone has any money, I'm going to put some money in this and let's do that. We're all kind of collectively grieving. And I know a lot of you are action oriented in the same way I was. And it kind of just blew up from there. And I actually do attribute that a lot to Haas people because it was like, oh, you want $5,000? And y'all gave me like $100,000 in a week. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> you gotta love the Haas community, I will say. <laughs> yeah, it's such a testament, again, to this. If there's someone willing to do it, let's get it done. And what I think people were really responding to is the problem was bigger than just broken windows. We all know that. It's a systemic problem. And let's put real dollars and energy and impact into that. So in that first month, we raised well over $100,000. We had about 150 people sign up to volunteer with our organization in whatever capacity, even moving trash and calling business owners, whatever. We had lots of media mentions. We had lots of people just coming in and like, okay, fine, let's help. Let's do this. And so it was really a combination of just response and sort of like as public grief now around Black people and the whole structural iniquity of being Black in America combined with COVID and and unrest and all these things together that kind of birthed this, this fund that we put together. So I'm reminded of a phrase that I used to hear growing up. You may be familiar with the phrase too, but it's the phrase that your gift will make room for you. Mm, I love that. We got a chance to start with your origin story first, because 
as I listen to you tell your story and we are making our way through this collective chaos, every single event that, I won't say every single event, but there were some very critical events and experiences that you had that in a strange way almost prepared you for that moment. Mm. And to see and to celebrate the success that you've already achieved and the continued success that I know you're going to drive, that's a blessing to my heart to see. I would love to hear, if you don't mind sharing, what's the future look like for you, for the fun that you've started? What does the next five to 10 years look like as you're now spearheading this charge? Yeah, I think on the fun side, what we've seen is now people are ready to have the conversation about how we support Black businesses more broadly. And not just from an altruistic sense, but from a like, this is a really important part of our economy. Retail and hospitality businesses hire 40% of Black people nationally. Like this is an important area where we need to make sure that we're applying resources not just for our Black community, but the economy as a whole. So the fund is kind of growing and adapting to continue the initial mission of supporting local businesses here in Oakland, but also filling a lot of the white space around where services are not meeting them. So for example, Black businesses only got, I think, 12% of PPP funding in the first round. So like there's resources out there and they're not connecting with this community. So the fund is really growing and orienting and adapting around how do we make sure those resources get to black people, black entrepreneurs, and really valuing and leaning in that this is an important part of that ecosystem. I think for me personally, doing the work that I do, I'm really leaning into this relationship between those businesses and the real estate and our place-based businesses. I say place matters, right? Brick and mortar businesses matter. And when our countries and our communities is facing gentrification, we actually do need to stand up and claim space for Black people, Black businesses, Black brick and mortar, Black entrepreneurs, all these things. And so through my work in real estate, with my understanding and working on the business investing side, it's really sort of orienting around, well, how do we combine these things and create these engines to actually protect and grow our community. Like, that's the thing that I'm really most interested in and excited about. Like, well, what are we doing both in our real estate development, in our brick and mortar landscape, and in our business community to really orient around equity? My future is about looking at the relationship between Black businesses and real estate, how we own it, how we control it, how we invest in it, how we make sure that our real estate is equity-based, how we make sure that we incorporate these two things together. Because I think we've seen that retail needs new models. We know that Black people need to be a part of that conversation in leadership and equity roles. We know that that disproportionately affects our community. And we know that real estate and real estate development has far more control of what our cities look like, who can participate, and where that money goes than anyone likes to admit. But that's the reality. So the work I'll be doing going forward is really leaning into that relationship. And how do we talk about our businesses and those economic engines in relationship to our real estate? Would you mind sharing a success story with our listeners? I know you've got a chance to get exposure to a lot of things since you've started the fund. You've got a chance to interact with a lot of great business owners. Are there any particular success stories that stick out that you'd love to share? So I have a co-founder named Trevor Parham. He's the owner of Oak Stop, which is a co-working community space in Oakland. And so Trevor runs a lot of the day-to-day at this point in terms of the fund. And my role is on the strategic side and really thinking through kind of like what the future of the organization looks like. So we had 
actually one of our early successes, a business that came to us. And I think this is like a great story. Like when we talk about why black businesses matter and why it's important to apply resources to this, one of the most important things is about innovation and resilience. So black people sort of lead culture, lead innovation in a lot of different ways that often aren't monetized and they're not appreciated. So that's what black entrepreneurship means, right? On the other hand, we talk about resilience. If you look at the structural issues that black people face as entrepreneurs in terms of access to capital, in terms of credit, in terms of all these different things, it's incredible that we have any black businesses at all. Yet we do. And many of them thrive and they grow despite all of the changes like COVID happened. They're still finding a way. So we have in this community of entrepreneurs, we have these two really, really important things that venture capital is looking for all the time and is going to the same places all the time to get it. So this story is one of my favorite examples because there was a business that's here in downtown Oakland. They sell like crystals. And they do spiritual readings. It's a community space. They do a bunch of different things. It's a pretty unique actual business model. It's something that's newer around to retail, retail paradotypes or whatever you want to call them. And they came in pre-COVID. When the store shut down, when the county came in and said no one could open, I think they lost about 90% of their sales. Mm. But they showed innovation and resilience and they put together their own e-commerce platform. They were selling stuff on Instagram. They were out on the street setting up tables on the sidewalk. They were able to make back almost 80% of their sales themselves. And so when I tell people why we invest in black businesses, that's what I mean. That's what you're looking for. Those are the type of entrepreneurs that never get the looks, but are doing the work. And so our fund, Damon, we came in, we helped them with some of their damage that they had received from protests. We worked with them through our partnership with Square, who came through to Haas alumni to get them hardware and set up their e-commerce site. We worked with them on some of their marketing. We kind of provided all these wraparound services to fill plugs into where they weren't getting what they needed so that they could just take what they were already doing and do it better and less risky. That's the work that we're interested in. It's not just going out and throwing cash at people and with a smile and saying good luck. Although, don't get me wrong, I actually really do sometimes just want to give people money and go about their business because I <laughs> just do it. Do what you can. You're already doing it. Y'all got it. Right. But it's like sometimes there's a real way if you have limited dollars, which we all do. It's like you can actually be strategic on how you deploy those resources and you can make one plus one equal like three or four or five or whatever. So that's like a story. I think at this point we have just under $300,000. We've deployed capital to, I want to say 90 businesses in the past six months. And a lot of that, honestly, it's been from, it's all volunteer run. We don't pay anybody. Every dollar we get in goes out. Anything anyone's ever Venmoed me has gone right back into the fund. It's just the money comes in and it goes out. And we have a system of volunteers I think it's just been a really incredible resource that I think most importantly just values and trusts Black businesses and Black leaders to do what they need to do to get stuff done and lets them lead. And we're just here to support and provide resources where we can. Mm, I feel like this is a great note to do a final transition on. You mind if we do a little something for the culture? So how long have you been in Oakland now? 2014. So about six and a half years. So for the people who are not in the Bay, for the people who may be making their way to the Bay, can you just share with me a little bit about that Oakland culture? I mean, it's just dripping with culture, man. Can you just share some things that you've seen and what you love about it? 
Yeah. I mean, I'll share from my perspective. Like, I'm not from here. I'm not going to claim from here because I'm from Philadelphia and I love that. I think what Oakland brings is a strong Black city. It's a historically Black city. There's deep roots here. There's deep culture. And when you come here, you feel that. You feel it everywhere. But you also feel how it's threatened, how it's being displaced, how it's being pushed out, and what people are trying to do to fight and survive that. But also thrive. We have a whole parade called Black Joy, period. So culturally, there's a richness here that I think people just respond to that deserves protecting, that deserves investment, that deserves the opportunity to grow and thrive even more. Actually, even when we started the fund, because my co-founder is from here, so he has a lot of deep relationships and connections here and investment here. And I think when you talk about legacy, right? We're talking about free breakfast was born here. So when you come out and you say, hey, listen, there's a problem. I'm trying to solve that. There's a lot of people here that are going to be like, okay, cool. What you need? No questions asked. In so much as like, this is a community driven place. It leads with community. And so I think that's really important. I think it's something that makes it really, really special. And I'm really happy and proud that we were able to do the work here that we have. Well, folks, I tell you what. This has been more than a pleasure. Look, I'm trying to tell you, we brought this thing from the Ruta to the Tuta. And in all seriousness, you know what's funny? I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back full circle, though. Because in all seriousness, not only as your classmate, but just as a friend, as a outside observer of your life, I am so proud of the work that you're doing, what you represent, the things that you stand for the voices that you are helping to empower in this moment and to see someone champion black communities, black entrepreneurs, black businesses in such a deliberate, focused and strategic way, man, that's a thing of beauty. So I salute you and I appreciate you taking the time to share your story with our community. I'm at a loss for words and I mean (laughs) in the best of ways. Seriously, I really am. Thank you for inviting me here. I'm proud to be able to do this work. It's humbling. It's hard. It's personally challenging. My dad passed away in like October. So I had like a lot of stuff happening at the same time to me personally. But this is all a part of it. And I appreciate the support. Folks, I tell you what, if you enjoyed today's conversation, we would love it if you like subscribed, followed, and just supported the One Highs podcast. We are so thankful for you joining us and tuning in today. And we will see you all next time on the high ground. Once again, this is Kenny Vaughn signing out with our great and gracious guest, Miss Elise Douglas. Thank you.